Well, good morning, good evening, good day, good night, hello, how are you? This here program, the Raised by Whoops fake radio show, is coming to you today from San Anselmo, California. This introduction is being recorded by a guy who just woke up and is a little tired, but feeling all right. Saturday morning for me, and I've had a weird week kind of week where you have company in town that you're glad to have, real happy to see, and the kind where you get stung ten times by yellow jackets. It's been a weird one, but I'm glad uh, glad I got to see my family. My sister came in town and brought a friend, Johanna. It was good to see both of them. It's a weird reminder that you have family. That you used to be a little brother. And that all the things that raised the two of you uh, really happened. So with her in town, thinking about family, I put together a program here in which I tell two stories about growing up. These are not uplifting stories. They're kind of, uh, I mean, they just are what they are. They're true. They really happen. And they're the kind of things that make a person what they are, I guess. What am I? I'm one of two self-deprecating hosts of this show. I think normally in a program you might get a little variety. Like one guy who's real confident and funny, and another guy who might be a little self-deprecating and funny. In this case, you just got two self-deprecating guys. I really enjoyed Glenn's program last week. I liked his Why Do I series. Uh, he wrote about why he writes, which I think is interesting and was a good a good effort. And I highly encourage you to do that. Say that, having not done it myself, I did not write one this week. I would, uh, I will. I'm considering why do I do any of the things I do. It made me think a lot. So, yeah. If you're out there and considering writing something about why do you do whatever you do? Why do you eat paint chips? Why do you paint whatever? Um, why do you why are you so hungry when you're painting? What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, write it down. Tell us about it. We'll put it on the show. Thanks for listening. I'm gonna stop talking now. Drink another couple sips of this coffee. It's mighty good. Hope you enjoy these stories. One of them is called My Number Two Son. The other is called Shadows on the Wall. It's two for one. Same price. Absolutely nothing. Totally free. All right. Until next time, enjoy the show. When you meet a man for the first time, you look him straight in the eyes and shake his hand with a firm grip. My father made this clear when I was quite young. Before I saw the ritual for the pissing contest it can often be, I passed it along to one of my nephews. I watched him exercise it for the first time on a camping trip when he was about five or six years old. Waiters, random people in shops, other campers, and pretty much every person we met that weekend 
were treated to his intense little gaze, the feeling of a small yet solid handshake, and an earnest introduction to a sweet and curious character. It looked to me like he'd unlocked one of the central mysteries of being a person in the world and carried that confidence in his young chest. I felt something akin to pride for having the good sense to hang out with him. In contrast to my nephew's first use of the strange handshake ritual, shared by confident and insecure men alike, my own introduction was a great deal less empowering. As I write this, February 23rd, 2022, it's been exactly 20 years since the man who taught me to make eye contact and give a firm handshake died in sedated agony with a tube down his throat in a hospital bed. Before I move forward, I'd like to express a sentiment of gratitude for everything that man gave me. Like the character in A Boy Named Sue, the wounds inflicted upon me by my father made me, if not tough exactly, at least capable of handling the ironic and uncomfortable in my own way. Besides, at some point, the job of a child is to realize that his or her parents are just children who grew up and made more children. Your own parents deserve all the same forgiveness and understanding you might otherwise afford to the parents of a stranger to whom you bear no ill will. But it's worth considering how we got our scars so we don't end up scarring anyone else. My old man grew up extremely poor and was one of 13 in Flint, Michigan. His parents, with almost no money, did the best they could for their children. I can scarcely imagine the wounds visited upon my father by his folks as they struggled with such a debilitating, although self-inflicted, burden. I didn't know my dad very well, but in conversations with those who did, they tell me he was eager to separate himself from that poor background at every opportunity. Presenting his children as future rich people was likely part of the deal. My brother, for example, carries the same name as my father, followed by a junior, an affectation and a relic of a monarchy and aristocracy from which our redneck family is quite far removed. The tradition continues with my brother's son, whose name is now followed by a Roman numeral three. While my brother is likely honoring tradition, it seems possible at least, my dad was attempting to project an air of sophistication and distance from his own father, incredibly named Ernest Cletus. Fair enough. When my dad gave me the instructions to the North American handshake comedy, I was eager to try it out. I even shook my own hand, testing the strength of my grip. Dad was a gregarious character, much more prone to speaking with strangers than with me, creating many opportunities to meet new people. Gas station attendants, grocery store clerks, other shoppers, bank tellers, pretty women of all professions, all frequently found a thick-chested, one-eyed ex-marine and attorney shaking their hands and introducing whichever of his four children happened to be with him. I have no memory of when his introduction of me became what it was, but at some point I realized it contained a weird disclaimer. The first time it really dawned on me, we were at a golf club, a place I never liked, and where I always felt like a ladle full of punch in a bowl of turds. My father wanted me to take lessons from a golf pro, who I'll call Tad, because why not? Anyhow, Tad was dressed in perfectly clean-pressed pants, a tucked-in polo shirt, white golf cleats, and a white visor with a brand of golf ball printed on the front. He was probably the cleanest and most tan white person I'd ever seen. I was wearing an ill-fitting version of the same outfit, minus the visor, a ridiculous accessory I refused to accept. 
On our weekend visits, Dad always made me change from my skateboard or rock band themed t-shirts and dirty jeans into khaki pants, brown loafers, and polo shirts. Feeling like you're wearing someone else's clothes is enough to make a person anxious about the meeting of new people. It only got worse from there. Dad took me over to meet Tad for my first lesson, and after greeting with humor and casual charm, he pointed to me. Tad, this is my number two son, Andrew Paul, named after not one, but two saints. His mother's Catholic. I don't know what it was like for Tad to look into the eyes of a kid whose father had just introduced him with an apology, but I can tell you if I'd found myself in Tad's clean cleats, I'd have felt a little odd about the whole thing. Tad, of course, just laughed and looked into the eyes of someone's number two son, already standing weird on the back foot. If that didn't give it away, he could probably tell I wouldn't be much of a golfer by the less than enthusiastic grip of the hand he was shaking. When I think of my dad now, 20 years after his death, I don't experience a sense of loss. I experience a sense of regret and hints of the pain I once felt as a boy, unsure why his father didn't like him. I understand the whole thing much better now with the benefit of 20 years of experience and having met several people who I also don't like. Take my oldest sister, for example. We were raised by the same people and lived in the same house. I love her on a very deep level, but if you were to ask me how much I like her, I could honestly say not even a little bit. Does that make me a bad person? More importantly, does it make her a bad person? The answer to both of those questions is obviously no. But to a young man developing under the one good eye of a father who may have had deep love but also harbored genuine dislike, it was a difficult and painful concept to understand. I would like to be forgiven for disliking others, so I'm forgiving of those who dislike me. There's a power in forgiveness which far exceeds the flaccid entanglement of even the most super firm handshake. That said, I do try to give a solid handshake, just without any of the bogus and insecure posturing. Whether it's a man, woman, or child, I squeeze a hand only as hard as it squeezes mine. I use my grip to convey warmth, not power. I also make eye contact, not as an act of domination, but to see what beauty or pain I might find in any given eye, and to offer my own gaze as part of the welcome. And when I have the privilege of greeting someone for the first time, I try not to approach the gift of introduction by the terms under which I first learned them, but under my own. The number two son, agnostic and sweet, named after two saints by his Catholic mother. Everybody's talking about the seventh son In the whole round world there is only one And I'm the one Yes, I'm the one I'm the one, I'm the one The one they call the seventh son I can tell your future it will come to pass I can do things for you, make your heart feel glad Look in the sky, predict the rain I can tell when a woman's got another man I'm the one Yes, I'm the one
shadows on the wall. This morning I watched as light from an open refrigerator briefly cast a moving shadow on the wall of an adjacent room. I was reminded of a sensation I would experience when sleeping in my dad's apartment as a boy. I wasn't afraid of my father, but I wasn't comforted by him either. He wasn't unkind, but distant to me, like the reverberations of a powerful thunderclap showing up a low rumble some miles away. People tell me he was special, but the space between us was too great to experience it directly. Visiting him always left me feeling more like a tolerated house guest than a beloved son. My voice was too loud, my hunger was too much, and my interests not particularly interesting. When my dad moved out for the last time, he moved into an apartment above his office. The apartment had one bed at first. At night I slept in his room. Being so close to him was like being at the confluence of two rivers, one calm and tranquil, the other raging and dangerous. I wanted to tell him what I was thinking, to somehow reach him and connect like I could with literally everyone else. Instead, I let my mind wander through the dark, keeping my thoughts to myself. His office was on a busy road and his blinds were never fully closed. Being on the second floor, the light from passing vehicles hit the windows at odd angles. Always in motion and coming in from below, the room felt at first chaotic, with shadows constantly forming and traveling in opposite directions across the walls than the bedsheets. The hot red of retreating taillights chased the warm white glow of headlights from side to side, switching directions as vehicles passed. When the opposed beams met in the middle, a brief and terrible confusion of light and hue collided at the midway point. The stillness of the wall and the tiny mountain ranges in the sheets were like impossible landscapes, as if they too were meant to be moving but somehow managed to resist the order and remain still. Lying next to my dad, watching this strange light show and listening to the rhythm of his heartbeat, I couldn't help but compare it to mine. His heart, augmented by a mechanical valve, was much louder than a normal heart. His rhythm, three beats to my four, made a sucking sound followed by two metallic clicks. The reverberations of the passing cars whooshing by, rubber wheels on the pavement followed by the muffled rumble of engines, created a soft droning sound, like being near a hive of bees or a room filled with machines, each doing a different job. His breathing before it turned to snoring, piled onto the din of long waveform sound. These odd stimuli pooled up around my senses like meltwater at the base of an ice cube. It led me to a peculiar state. When I closed my eyes, I could feel my body swell to a size greater than the whole building. I could be as large as I dared, feeling the bed below me like a grain of sand under my back. In an instant, I could compel my body to shrink to a size smaller than the space between my pinched thumb and forefinger, appreciating the infinitesimally tiny. Without effort, I could travel between these states at my leisure until I finally drifted off to sleep. In that vacillating state between the enormous and the minuscule, motion and stillness, the beats and the breaks, I became something else. As if exposed to some mystical insight I can't quite reassemble as a man, so fixed by time, space, and the calcified ignorance of my certainty, my young mind caught a glimpse of something behind the heavy curtain of illusion. When I reached for the feeling now, that secret of existence, unlocked by a hypnotizing show of light, rhythmic clicks, and droning sounds, 
it eludes me. When I try to focus, to remember what it was or what it might have meant, the memory moves without the effort, like fishing for shattered bits of an eggshell from the jewel it once held, or squeezing that melting cube of ice firmly between my fingers and watching as it flies off like a comet. The closest I've been to remembering the boundlessness of size and perception is in the psychedelic state. In those rare moments I can feel my old power return and the insight is with me once more. But rather than up front and center in my mind as it once was, the wisdom of this gift is behind me, possibly benevolent, possibly malicious, patiently observing, informing action without telling me its secrets. I don't fight it, and I play with the sensation like a child reading her first good book, curious and dazed by the experience of discovering other worlds in the mind.
Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks, and take care.